Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I'm doing a group podcast on teaching your child to read because I know as a home educator this was something that I found quite daunting, was something that I didn't really remember myself when I was younger so I didn't really remember the process whereas perhaps with with learning subjects when you're a little bit older you can kind of remember how you learned them but learning to read I don't remember, I suspect I was chanting you know cat bat hat in a classroom of 40 people but um I do remember teaching my daughter to read and she's dyslexic and it was a bit of a challenge I have to say my son taught himself to read at two using Mr Men books so he was he was my first child and I honestly thought teaching your child to read would be a doddle because he basically taught himself and I I just took all the credit my daughter who came along a year and a half later yeah that was a bit a bit harder and we used Peter and Jane books which is like a very old-fashioned kind of approach where you learn just a number of words and then I think once you know a baseline of words you're okay something like that we didn't do phonics we tried phonics but it didn't work and so I thought it'd be interesting because I know that teaching your child to read is one of those where there's a slight schism I think in how you approach it so I thought I would get three experts in to talk to us about how we can teach our child to read or help our child learn to read when we're home educating because sometimes it can feel quite an isolating process. So first of all, I would like to say hello to all of my lovely guests. And then I'm going to get you all to tell us uh, something about yourself, like who you are, everything we need to know about you summed up in two sentences. So that's a good challenge. And as you're all like kind of, you know, English bods, I'm guessing you're going to be very good at summarizing things. So we're going to go in this order, Jen, Harriet and David, go for it. Jen, you first. Hi, I'm Jen. Um, I run the Primary Educator. I was a primary teacher for years and now I help parents at home by teaching the six pillars of reading, um, which is, you know, a variety of things, including phonics, but other things as well to support children in learning to read. Hi, I'm Harriet. Uh, I'm an erstwhile home educator. Our children are big and grown up now and gone off to do other things. Um, And I am now uh, a senior lecturer in early childhood at Liverpool Hope University. And I've got a special interest in learning to read and I've done research into uh, home educating families, children learning to read. Hi, I'm David. I am a a former teacher, primary school teacher. I was English lead a number of schools during my 10 years. And now I'm a children's book writer and illustrator. So, David, you went from teaching to writing children's books. Now, as somebody who trained as a teacher and did a little bit of teaching, I gave up the profession about as quickly as it was humanly possible for me to do. So did you stayed at it for longer. But what do you think is the main challenge of going from teaching to something where you're, you know, much more freelance and, and creative? Uh, I'm like six days into that career, so I will. Uh, I'll give you. <laughs> I left. I left uh, Friday. Uh, last Friday was my last day of teaching. So, um, <laughs> I've just jumped into the unknown. Effectively, I'm, I'm doing a bit of tutoring as well. So I'm hoping that it's going to take off. I've been writing, and I've got two books out already. But I'm just, you know, at the beginnings of now trying to sort of focus on that and move away from the classroom. 
Do you find that having young children yourself helps you to sort of know the kind of books that you would like to write? Because I know my children were very picky about the books they liked when they were younger. Yes, the first book, my first book, The Imagination Thief, that the idea from that came from my stepdaughter. She had this idea of why do adults lose their imagination? Does someone steal it? This kind of idea of somebody stealing adults' imagination. So I wrote it and I turned it into a book. I gave her credit, didn't give her any money, but I gave her some credit. (laughs) In actual fact, I can answer her question for you because in actual fact, the the thing that steals adults' imagination is school. As a home educator, I can safely say that's what steals the imagination because I have a 16, I have a 15 and a 17 year old and they both still do kind of imaginary play and engage in like, you know, weird creative games together because they've never been to school. So they've just never had it, you know, kind of imposed out of them. I think school has this delineation, doesn't it, between playtime and learning time. And so as a result, children learn that maybe play isn't as important and it gets, it, you know, you have to hear a bell in order to be able to go and do it. So so I would maybe write a book about that. There you are, David, that's your next book idea. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> See how popular that one is. Yeah. Okay, so, so Jen, you mentioned that you cover the six pillars of reading. Yes. Now I have, yeah, I don't know what they are. Do tell us. <laughs> so most people talk about the five pillars of reading. So you might have heard of that one before. Um, I actually include the sixth because I am early as trained. That's where I started. That's where I'm really passionate. So I include communication as the first pillar. So oral fluency and communication. Then the second one is phonemic awareness, which is your listening and blending skills. Then phonics, which is um, your the, like the knowledge core. So understanding which letter makes which sound. Then the fourth one is vocabulary. The fifth one is reading fluency. So those are the words you might not be able to sound out and also speeding up so that you have the ability to do the sixth pillar, which is um, comprehension. And I very firmly believe that in order to raise a child um, who is able to be a really confident reader, you have to be able to do all six areas. So in school, in certainly in the school I taught in, we did all of those but they weren't called that. So we did like phonics and phonics was the core, particularly in year one, where, you know, it was just about reading words and uh, knowing all the sounds, but then you'd have guided reading where you'd really focus on the other things. And I find that when you are educating a child, it's really important that they have the understanding of all six pillars, because so often you find that one area is they struggle with more and then that massively impacts all the others. So, um, while I do teach phonics and I love phonics personally, I think it's a really great way to learn as a, and I'm saying that as a dyslexic myself, um, I found, found learning to read using phonics a lot easier than learning to read how we used to read. Um, but it is only one part of the whole and you have to have the whole in order to support our kids to become really confident readers. Do these six pillars run concurrently? Yes. So you would be concentrating. So you're basically, if you were building a building with mm-hmm. six pillars, you'd be building them all up at the same time. You wouldn't do one yes. pillar, then the next pillar. So it's it's a bit interesting because obviously if you're focusing right down at the bottom end, so right down at, you know, two-year-olds, you would expect them to be able to do um, communication, phonemic awareness and vocabulary and comprehension, but not necessarily the phonics and the fluency, because they require that, as I say, they're knowledge based. So I don't know if you've come across the concept of skills based and knowledge based before. 
there's the four pillars that are skills that you can learn at any time and build at any time. And then there's the two pillars that are knowledge. So they build upon each other. So for example, if when you're learning to read, if we break it down just to phonics and phonemic awareness, the phonemic awareness is the skill of being able to put sounds together in order to you know, make words. And phonics is the this knowledge of what letters make what sounds. So oh, no, it's interesting because my impression of phonics was now what you've defined as phonemic awareness, which was yeah. what I thought when you take chunks of sounds and then sort of like um, fit them all together like jigsaw puzzles once you learn what those sounds are. No, so, or, you know, I, from the way that I would support it and the way that I would teach it is that phonemic awareness is the listening skill. So that tends to be what dyslexic children find particularly tricky unless they have a lot of support with, um, coming from my own background, coming from, you know, I, I do a lot of dyslexic support. Um, and it's making sense of the sounds in your head so that they fit together. So if I'm saying to you, cat, and you're putting that together in your head as cat, that's phonemic awareness. That's not phonics. Phonics is when you break it right down to the pillars is literally knowing that the letter C makes the sound. K. So it becomes really, really defined into, you know, phonemic awareness is the skill of being able to put the sounds together and phonics being the letters themselves. So what I tend to find when I'm working with parents is I give out a loads of loads of phonemic awareness games and I get parents being like, but this isn't going to teach my child to read because it doesn't have any words in it, but we're not reading any letters. And I have to explain that your child will learn to read by playing these really active games that don't require books. They don't require sitting down in, inside. A lot of them I love playing outside because you're training your child's brain and your child's ears to hear smaller and smaller units of sound and to manipulate them so that when they then come to put the knowledge side of it, so the letters themselves, into the structure that they've already built, it just becomes easy. Um, and then by having this really strong phonemic awareness early on, you then prevent what we tend to see in year one, which is this difficulty with things like adjacent consonants, where children who can read uh, cap, for example, cap, can't read because they can't put the two adjacent consonants next to each other. So they'll end up saying cap or lap rather than clap. And that's again because their phonemic awareness isn't quite strong enough in order to put all of those sounds together. So that's why I teach all six pillars. And I teach vocabulary as well because it'll help children to have a sort of basis to work from. They can use another skill to support them with that reading. And the same with comprehension. If you're reading a sentence, and it says um, the boy his hands, they're not going to read the boy cap his hands because it doesn't make sense. So what could that word be? So by using all six, you are supporting all of those different things. So if you have an, an area where you that you do find harder, like phonemic awareness, if you're dyslexic or phonics, if you have memory issues um, or you know attention issues or anything like that, all of the other pillars do continue to support. Um, but they do come in, you know, you can teach some much earlier than others because they are skill based rather than knowledge based. And is this six the pillars approach or the five pillars that you've added a pillar onto? Is this the standard school approach, primary yeah. approach? Oh, OK, it isn't. OK, so one thing you were mentioning there <clears throat> when you talked about phonics is um, 
I know when I was at school, which was a long time ago, that we learned our alphabet A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all that kind of jazz, right? And capital A, big letter A, little letter A. And now yeah. it's abacada. Mm-hmm. And that's the phonics. That's where the phonics yeah. has come in, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Harriet, I've got a question for you as our kind of a resident theoretician, I'm guessing, just because you're in academia. So I'm going to give you that title, regardless of whether you want it or not. Was there a shift in academia that that went from learning kind of whole words, which I think was how I used to do it, to learning learning to read through phonics? And was it backed up with scientific research that said this is the best way to do it? Um, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. It was designated the reading wars um, and kind of a... Um, a sort of a standoff between the two approaches of the phonics approach on one hand and the whole world on the whole word approach on the other hand. Um, and yes, it's based on um, it's 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 based on what you might call scientific testing uh, of um, uh, of reading skills through phonics. There's a book called uh, I've struggled to remember the guy's name. Um, it's it's a bad science book uh, about those tests um, that uh, seriously critiques the basis on which phonics um, is, pre- is predicated, that science that's underpinned it. That's the kind of a be that as it may situation now, because as we know, reading has become the teaching of phonics in various different forms in school. Oh, that's I, interesting. I, so is it yeah, possible that actually we made this move to phonics based on slightly ropey science and now we're here we're just kind of well it's all built into our system now so we're we this is where we are uh, it's very much entrenched into our system it's very much entrenched into our system um and it's uh it's very much entrenched into um commercial interests as well so the next the next scheme the next the next thing i think it's read writing in schools at the moment is earning somebody tremendous amounts of money um, everyone has something they want to say about read write ink and actually i have to say this is taking a slightly controversial turn jen you go first then david thank you um i do just want to add on to that as someone who is currently in schools it's not just read write ink anymore there has been a big shift very recently that a lot of phonics teachers are very cross about into um all schools are required to hold a scheme so read write ink used to be a thing i have certain difficulties with read write ink because it's very prescriptive um what most schools are required to do now under Ofsted is to have a phonics scheme in order to prove that phonics is being taught structurally across all teachers which is very good for new young teachers who do not understand how to teach phonics or teachers who've come from higher up the school who haven't done it before but is very prescriptive and limiting for those of us that have dedicated our lives to doing this and are really really passionate about phonics and it I I have found myself even though we chose a scheme that works best for our school out of all the ones that we have the option of I have found it to be quite frustrating because I'm not necessarily allowed to support the children in the way that I know works for my kids in my class because it doesn't follow the scheme. Okay Harriet you had a little thing to say then David. I was literally going to say the same thing that, that Jen just said, but um, I was I was key stage one lead when they did this big swing to getting schools to have a scheme in place. And it wasn't, it was kind of like um, 
oh well you don't have to do this but it looks but it, it was pressure you know it looks better if you have got this so i looked at about i don't know eight different schemes because we didn't have a scheme at the school i was working at um and they were all so soulless it it was very difficult for me to kind of go oh you know let's go with this one um and we were offsteaded as we were kind of moving away from our own system to developing a system because the head teacher was very keen to get something in place to sort of get rid of any of the, the stress or worry about being checked on it and um it it's um it it was just yeah i say it was it was very soul destroying to see the sort of um the way it's done um it, it's not adaptable it, it's it's uh, you constantly looking at it thinking oh you know children with any sort of SC we, as i was working in a school that had children with um hearing impairment and there's no provision for that kind of thing with any of these schemes there's no there's no consideration it's just oh everyone will learn like this that's fine it it's very yeah so backing up gem basically it's very frustrating harriet uh so the book that i was trying to remember is called misreading reading the bad science that hurts children it's by gerald coles it came out in 2000 but i would also really like to talk about some of the research that i've done with home educating uh, families and how their children learn to read. Um, yeah. Let, let's actually move move towards that because one thing I, I wanted to say in response to David is that this, um, the frustration of the kind of one size fits all approach uh, when it comes to learning to read and everything else in schools is, pro is probably one of the main things that pushes people towards home education. And it was really interesting when I, when both David and Jen, you were both talking then, about the limitations of of the this kind of approach not being able to be flexible not being able to be responsive and of course as a home educator this is like one of the most glorious things because i i didn't i had i don't know any of these theories i knew that there was a bit of kerfuffle about phonics that's literally all i knew um and and yet my two children i taught them both to read although theoretically my son did kind of teach himself but i just did what felt intuitively right now i bought chip and kipper books which i think are phonics hated them my daughter hated them i hated them we just hated them so i bought a job lot of peter and jane books from ebay for like 10 pounds and we worked our way through them and then by the time we got to about book four i just thought Do you know what i'm just going to give us some cressida cow books so i just chucked some cressida cow books on her bed at night you know six weeks later she's reading because she wanted to read the books now you can't do that approach in schools right that's really a different sort of thing so um harriet you were mentioning about home education so tell us a little bit about your perspective as a home educating parent and then also obviously as somebody who is studying the the, the art of learning to read um so i had uh, an experience not dissimilar to your own um although our daughter was older um she she was a lovely child to learn to home educate on. She was interested in books. She liked being read to. She could recognise her own name. Sometimes she'd want to write something down and I'd write it down and she would copy it. So I knew that she knew little bits and pieces about reading uh, and writing. Um, there was no way in my head that those things added up to make a whole. I didn't teach her. Um, when she was just approaching six, uh, she got given a book. She got given Hop on Pop by Doctor's Use. She, as far as I knew, had never read anything before in her life. It's a very simple, and as it happens, phonics reader. She took it off and read it by herself. Uh, she never asked me any questions. She never asked me to help her. When she'd read it, she 
carried this book. She loved this book. She carried it round with her for a good couple of weeks. She constantly had her head in it. Um, when she sort of finally had enough of it, she went and put it back on the bookshelf, helped herself to something else, went off and read that. She had never had a reading lesson, um, and I had no idea how she had done what she did. That and, is um that is a really common yeah. experience in home education, isn't it? That yeah. you basically leave your child just to expose them to to things, and then by the time they get to about six mm. or seven, do you know what? They're surrounded by all these books. They want to give it a go, and they do it in their own time. Harriet, did you find that? Do you find that there's some sort of kind of backing for this? Uh, you know, for this approach? I know it's popular in home ed, but it, obviously in the school system that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I was I was so mind blown uh, about what had happened and trying to understand what had happened that I did my PhD on it. Um, and my research, my research covered 400 children, 311 families. It just so happens that I was mugging up before, this is my book, um, before, before we started the podcast um, to refresh myself. Um, and... I mean, we've touched on we've touched on a lot of things that came out of the research anyway. Um, your experiences, my experiences, you say this happens a lot and understanding how that happens was 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 something that I wasn't am really interested in. Um, a, a good proportion of the home educating families say that they do use phonics more or less a little bit like you're talking about, Eleanor, you know, little bit of this little bit of that we're bored with that Nash not that interested in this let's try something else that looks interesting you know um so not particularly approaching learning to read through a method but rather through life through interest with a heavy emphasis on individuality and flexibility um there were other families uh where experiences were so different that it 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 really necessitates going back that trying to understand how some children just simply seem to pick up reading just just seems to happen trying to understand that goes back to questioning a lot of our assumptions about reading um including what what children what people are doing when they are reading what that actual act of reading consists of and whether everybody reads in the same way and including thinking about the philosophical and metaphorical basis of how we understand reading. And I'm really happy to talk about those things if you'd like me to. I would love to have to do another podcast on that, actually, because I I love reading. I, I immerse myself in reading. I've always loved it from a very young age. And when my children were very tiny, like very tiny, baby, tiny babies, I knew that one of the values that I wanted in our home was I wanted both my children to enjoy reading as much as I enjoy reading. Because to me, as a new mother of two young children, very close in age, it was important that I got time to sit and read because it was really integral to me. So I thought, well, if I teach them to read quietly, They'll read quietly while I read quietly and then I get what I want and I get reading children. And for me, reading is an immersive, hugely pleasurable experience. For other people that I know, they have to kind of book it in. They're like, okay, I'm going to do half an hour in bed before I go to sleep. And then, okay, I've done my half an hour. I'm going to put my book down. I cannot read like that. Reading to me is one of those that it's like, it just keeps going on and on. And I just want more and more of it. It's quite, it's actually quite difficult for me to pull myself away from reading. And so it's interesting what you said, Harriet, about people maybe they experience reading in a really different way. So 
I would love to do another podcast on that. However, I have a number of questions that actually came from that. My, I think my main question that I wanted to ask, perhaps the the two teachers, in uh, although, David, I know you, you've jumped ship, but we'll, we'll call you a teacher for now because I don't think term is up yet, so I think you're still officially one. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, oh, no, it is. It was up on Friday, wasn't it? No, there you are. You're gone. But one question I have for both of you is – do you think listening to what Harriet said about, you know, when her child was sort of six, she just kind of almost found herself uh, sort of able to read or, you know, had the motivation to be able to learn herself. Do you think that we are pushing reading too early in schools? And is that because we have these kind of Ofsted milestones and we need to, you know, we want some children, you know, like my son, he learned to read very, very young. My daughter learned to read when she was near a five. Is it because we want to try to kind of homogenize the event? So uh, I'm actually going to ask David, then Jen, what you think about that? I think in in many in many ways it just it really depends upon the child that you're dealing with. I mean, um, I, we've got um, my eldest stepdaughter is autistic, and she was homeschooled until she was about six, I think it was, and she just picked up reading just like that. It, you know, she just picked up books. She was fine with it. Um, I've got two boys who are they don't live with me. They they and they've been in school their entire lives. They're still probably not ready to picking up some books they um they don't really read a lot of fiction they read a lot of non-fiction it, yeah, it's, and that's the thing that doesn't you you have to kind of base it on that and and interests and things like that it, school never really accommodated for um the various different fixations that that erin my eldest stepdaughter's got you know she's always been sort of forced within a reading scheme those sort of things um so i think it it, it vastly depends i i think um, one of the big things within the schooling system um, is the fact that the curriculum's way it's, it's overstuffed. It's massive, particularly key stage one curriculum is massive, and there's not enough time for me spent actually just sitting, reading, talking about books. Um, writing's thrust on children far too early, so you don't get a chance to really enjoy it. If I was to have a magic wand and completely change the uh, the school curriculum, I would we take away all the expectations for children to be doing any sort of noting of anything down they would just be enjoying books doing drama based on it listening to people listening to expert readers talk about books and building up all that lovely language internally you know first of all that's interesting because there is definitely that link in the school system between reading and writing. It's like the two, mm. like, was it the three R's, yeah. reading, writing, arithmetic? And the, and there's no doubt that we inextricably link reading and writing. And for children that don't like writing, which actually is pretty much most children until they get to a certain age, um, it's it's very difficult then for them to take out that love of reading. Jen, what do you think? Do you think we are expecting children to read too young? So I have quite divide, a divided opinion on this, just in my own head, because I have taught a huge range of kids. As I say, it's I'm very much EYFS year one. Um, and I know there's a lot of kids who, as soon as they get that sort of click of reading, they fly and they just want to read all the time. They And they need that support to be able to get there. And I wouldn't want them to have to hold off on another couple of years on another you know decision from outside of themselves but equally I do think there are some children who would benefit more from a more active style 
of education, perhaps. Um, I do agree with what David said about um, writing too early. It would be incredible if I could have, you know, a class of 30 where the expectation in year one is that we don't start writing. If they want to write, fantastic, but we focus on reading because while I can I can see why people might find it very tricky when their children don't want to read, if we had more time in the school system to support that reading through games and through activities. And I don't know if you guys, um, I know Dave, you will, but like phase one phonics is in reception and that's the phonemic awareness. And that's pretty much all kids get of that. And it's done within the first half term and onto something else, which is then what causes a lot of children in year one to find reading tricky. So if we spent all of reception building up those listening skills, those communication skills, which I, I know it says in the curriculum we should, but practically we I'm not sure many schools have time. And I am being quite careful with this because I know that some schools spend a lot of time on it. And I know that some schools have the chance to, but I know that mine doesn't have that opportunity because of the expectation that's put on them. Um, but I, I personally love teaching reading to young kids. I see young kids who are even younger than school age who really, really want to learn to read. And I'm lucky enough that I know that what I, the kids that I support enjoy what I teach them. So, um, you know, we get a lot of kids have that amazing light bulb moment in year one where they are like, oh, I can read now. And then they go to the book corner and they pick up any book that they want. And we have a very good system in my school where, yes, OK, we have the phonics readers. They take home two phonics readers a week and they take home three library books. And those library books are anything they want to choose. And that, I think, is it comes back to those six pillars, that good balance of engaging children with books as well as teaching them to read. And I'm, I'm not a massive fan of phonics readers. I think particularly early on, they can kill a love of reading. But if you it's are... The Chip and the Kipper ones. Biff, oh, Chip, Kipper. Mm. They're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. There's a huge range. Um, and in fact, I've recently come across a school that's, you know, the books you were talking about. I've come across a school. I've come across a school using those as phonics books. So they're they brilliant. are technically. They're, they're actually quite good stories. And one thing, however, I wanted to I wanted to ask is I have a theory. Now I'm a home educator. I'm also a trained teacher. So I I I wouldn't say I have a foot in both camps because I really, really don't. I'm very firmly in the home education camp. But I have a theory, and a lot of my theories about school are deeply cynical, but I have a theory that the reason we teach children to read quite young in schools is because the sooner we've got a classroom of 30 children who can read, the sooner we can sit them down quietly at desks and the reading books. Harriet, okay, you're a fellow home educator. Back me up on this cynical view. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that came out of the research is the wide variety of ages, the age range in which home educated children learn to read. So in my cohort of 400 children, the youngest was 18 months old and the oldest was 16. Now, that is a huge window compared to the window of a couple of years that you get in school. And I said earlier that I didn't think that reading was necessarily the same for everybody who does it. And learning to read changes as children get older. So one of the issues in school, and I think you're absolutely right, if you are not reading by standard, when you finish primary school, your educational outlook is extremely bleak. You are extremely unlikely, a child is extremely unlikely to ever make up that ground. It's very, very serious. Uh, many of the children in the cohort um, uh, in which I conducted the research learned to read, learned to read age 10, 11, 12, 13, 
an, an age which would be disastrous in the school system, but which was absolutely fine at home. Part of the reason for that is that learning to read at home does not hold back the rest of your education, the rest of a child's education, the way that it does in school. So as one father put it to us, there's the verbal, the visual and the hands-on. Children are learning all the time through those mediums. They are not reliant on the written word in the way that school children are. Um, and the other thing is that when children did start reading, they bought to reading um, an enormous richness of vocabulary, of grammar, of genre, of understanding of the uses of the written word, um, uh, of, um, uh, of conversation, of narrative, all sorts of things that they brought to reading. They didn't get those things out of reading. They brought them to reading because they had been read to, because they'd watched TV, because they'd had lots of conversations, discussions with adults, with their peers, lots of life experience of their own. And they were bringing those things to reading. So when they started reading, they were starting in a very different place from a, a three-year-old learning phonics in a nursery setting. And that's interesting what you say, because Jen also sort of said a similar thing, but in a very different different format, which was that if a child wants to learn to read, you know, they can want to learn to read at three, they can want to learn to read at seven. Now, I suppose my question to you, David, is do you think that we have that we should teach reading or do you think that actually if a child wants to learn to read they would just learn to read if they're three they want to learn to read they're motivated they'll learn to read or do you think children actually need systematic teaching for how to learn to read i, I think i'll sit on the fence again i think it, it it vastly varies with with the different people that i've encountered i'll give you one example though I had a child a couple of years ago who was um, English second second language, um, very young for his age, um, and found reading challenging. He he didn't find phonics enjoyable and things like that. So, and one of the biggest problems we had with him was that he wouldn't sit still for five seconds. Um, he was all over the place, bouncing all over the place, things like that. And I found a a computer an app called Teach My Monster to Read. And everyone's encountered that before. It's really good. Um, and he loved that. And his progress leapt. It it shot through because he loved using things like that. It was gamified. It was it followed a plot. Everything else like that. It's and it was very. It was systematic. It went. You went through levels. You had different things. It's kind of like finding the the thing that sparks them. And I'll give them an example of of my of my kids as well. Like as I say, the girls are kind of dotted in and out with homeschooling and, and mainstream school, but the boys haven't. And um, my sons love reading the football books, the the ones about you know Jamie Vardy books and things like that. Now, if you gave if you gave my sons a, a writing task um, to say write a football commentary for a game, they would come out with the language that would amaze you. If you told them to write a Harry Potter style story, they'd have no clue where to start because they haven't embedded any of that into their into their mind. So it's it it, it really does. I personally think you. The problem with with back to my mind about schools again. Um, Feel schools, free; you, it's a home education <laughs> podcast. Keep going. <laughs> you've the, the you've got thirty children, and in a in a lesson, if I've got thirty kids in my class, at best, I've got maybe forty seconds with each child. When you take out all the other things, the inputs, the behaviour issues, interruptions, you've got maybe forty seconds with each child, and that's not an ideal place where you can really tailor 
an education system to a child in that situation. It's not possible. You, you, you're going to end up with having to fall back onto systematic programs and schemes and things like that, that, that work it in a way that you can teach 30 children at the same time. Whereas if you're in a home education situation, you can really tailor it. You can build on their interest. You can go to the library and pick up the books that they want to read. You can go and pick out the, the activities that are going to work with your particular child. And that's why I think if my house, you've got maybe a control system because you've got the boys who have always been in school and the girls that haven't. The girls' love of reading is way more. And I know there's always the, you know, boys tend to dislike reading and, you know, in comparison to, to girls anyway. But the, the difference in my house in terms of the love of reading is huge. I think, I think in actual fact, one thing I would say is that I think once boys hit a certain age, it's not that they don't like reading. It's exactly what you say. They don't like reading fiction books or, or some boys like to make that shift towards nonfiction. My son, who used to read a huge amount, he got to about seven or eight and he seemed to just stop. It, he still liked it, but it wasn't quite as instinctive as it used to be. And then I realized that he was actually reading textbooks and he'd enjoyed reading textbooks. I mean, he would literally go to bed with like GCSE economics textbooks. And then, so I started buying him lots of nonfiction books, adult nonfiction books. Um, and he, and he, that was it. He was flying and now he reads lots and lots of nonfiction books and some fiction books, but he, we needed that freedom and flexibility to be able to tailor it to him. And that's one of the beauties of home education. But Jen, I want to ask you that as a primary teacher, do you think that we need to teach children to read? Because I feel personally that we don't. Now, I'm sensing that you're going to feel that we do. So I would like your opinion on it. <laughs> so before I start that, I know this is a podcast and no one can see me nodding the entire way through everything David just said. But <laughs> I, the reason I really rate homeschooling, I think it's a wonderful thing to do, is that whole connection between the, the teacher, in inverted commas, and the student. Like you have so much more time to support your kids. And I over COVID, when we had half classes, that for me was revelationary because I, I had 12 kids in my class and I could suddenly follow their, their um, what they wanted to do a huge amount more. And that was so empowering for me as a teacher. And I'm just I was I just wanted to put that in there because I was nodding all the way through everything David was saying about like being able to support kids interests and following all of that. But I know no one could see me on a podcast. So with the teaching kids to read thing, I just I only had a small thing that I wanted to say on that. And it does come from my own experience as a dyslexic child, because I was desperate to learn to read. I, I was the kid that was constantly bothering my parents to read to me. I just wanted another story at bedtime. I just I was constantly picking up books and I was constantly looking through them. And I was really struggling to read. And obviously, this is before phonics was brought into schools. Um, I was on the Biff Trip and Kipper books. I quite enjoyed them. They were the magic key ones. Um, but it was still the learn words method. And I kept, I was brought out of classes and I was put in all these interventions and I was very aware that I couldn't read. Um, and I really struggled with it. And my mom could see me get feeling worse and worse about it. And she ended up actually teaching me phonics. And because she taught me phonics and she very specifically went down to the basics of what sound does that letter make, I learned to read. So I'm speaking from my personal experience as a child who needed to be taught. So I know that there are children that need to be taught. I'm sure However, there are children. 
Mm. I think the distinction I'm making is that, you know, when you mentioned about um, writing and what David was saying about sort of this pressure to write and you said, wouldn't it be lovely if we didn't teach writing in year one, but children who did want to write came to us. Now, that's what I'm suggesting for reading that children who do want to learn come, come to you and and learn to read. And if they don't, there's just no pressure to do it. Would that be an approach that would work in the school system? It would be incredible if that could happen. Unfortunately, no, it wouldn't work in the school system. I will explain why very quickly. Um, What really, really frustrates me in the school system is that once you hit key stage two, so I know, um, Harriet, you were saying about if you leave primary school and able to read, you're screwed. I agree with that. Unfortunately, it actually is even earlier than that. If your child leaves key stage one unable to read, good luck because we don't continue that phonics teaching. I can see David nodding at me. Um, We don't continue that phonics teaching into year three, into year four, into year five. So children who find it hard, who may come to it later, don't get that. And as a teacher, that breaks my heart because I want every child to have that opportunity. I want every child to be able to read. And it it puts a lot of pressure on teachers. I know like this homeschooling podcast, but I do just want to come at it from the teacher perspective of it's a lot of pressure to feel like if my children leave my classroom not able to read, then I failed them. And that really is the feeling that I get. And that's really hard to do, which is why I've moved into this, um, the primary educator section of supporting homeschoolers and supporting parents outside of the classroom. Because as David said, if if I want to read with every child in my class, I get maybe 10 minutes a week to do so. And that's with me as a teacher who is so passionate about reading, I would do nothing but read all day if I could. I still only get 10 minutes a day. And that's where even if you're not home educating, parents are so important because you have the time to follow your child's interests, to read the books you want to with them and support them at home. So I do agree with you. That is a massive failing of our education system is that the children don't have the opportunity to come to you to learn to read later on. That's astonishing, isn't it? Because in actual fact, if you look at the school system, one of the things that I find kind of frustrating is that the same things cycle round and around the school system like the water cycle you learn the water cycle early on you learn the water cycle key stage two you learn the water cycle key stage three you learn the water cycle key stage four and you just basically go a little bit deeper it's like the hermeneutical circle you get a little bit deeper every single time until you're so bored of the water cycle there's actually lemony snicket um he did the series series of unfortunate events in one of the books he actually all through the book there is this in joke about how boring the water cycle is because it's Mm. all you ever hear about in schools and it's true you just go round and around the water cycle now why is it then that they don't allow you know let's do a bit more learning to read let's do a bit more learning to read you know you you'd think they could actually add that in because that is how the school system is based let's just keep going around churning around the same stuff Jen so I I can't explain exactly why we don't continue to do things as we would earlier But I can say we do continue to support reading. We do a huge amount of guided reading. That continues all the way up. What stops is this systematic teaching of phonics. And that's where I know not everyone loves phonics, not everyone uh, likes it, but we do see really good results with phonics. We we just do. Um, It was brought in in 2012 and the literacy rate has risen since then. Um, But what frustrates me is that phonics isn't continued to be taught higher up. And I understand that for kids who can read, that could be frustrating. And the the truth is we just don't have the budget. We just don't have the support 
there to do the interventions that you need to do. Because if you have, let's say, three children in a class, I think the average is five children in a class leave key stage two, uh, not at expected standard. Uh, leave key stage one at not at expected standard even. If you have five children in a class who need to be taken out for an intervention, they have they need another teacher to do that. They need a highly trained phonics teacher to do that, who would need to be paid, who would need to be supported. It doesn't tend to be in the budget. Mm. And what I find incredibly frustrating about school, and I'm sure David does as well, is the budget just is never there. You're constantly, every time you reach out for something and you say, this child could really do with a dyslexia assessment, for example, or another intervention. It's like, well, we don't have the budget for that. And you're like, okay. I so. I um I hear exactly what you what you mean about the budget, but surely if learning to read is that vital that if you're if you don't learn by the time you're key stage two, you're 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 left, basically you'll have to pick it up yourself. Good luck, buddy. You'd think it would be a priority over some of the things that the budget is currently spent on. But anyway, that is my last moan about the school system. So Harriet, did you have something you wanted to to sort of uh, chime chime in on there? I did, I did. Um, what what came out of one of the things that came out of the reading research was that very often children would start reading and um, they'd make a little bit of progress to begin with, and then that progress would plateau. So as we've said, that plateau is incredibly uh, important in school, and uh, and as Jen describes, you know, a child who's plateauing, you, you throw everything that you can at them. You've got a closing window. You've got to make it happen. In the home education scenario. Child loses interest, maybe is finding it a bit difficult, wants to go and do something else, you know, has got, got bored with this and got interested in something else. Those children might go off. They might not do anything more that looks like reading for months, maybe even sometimes for years. When they come back to reading eventually, as they eventually will, they have improved very often exponentially without and without, without that kind of focused input, obviously, they're in a literate environment and that culture of literacy is all around them in their family and in their environment, but there has not been any deliberate teaching. And whatever it was that held them back has gone. That barrier has gone. So um, I, I think in the home education scenario where you have that kind of time, some of these difficulties or problems, they simply dissolve. And honestly, it's not rocket science to say, you know, it's something that, I don't know, a six-year-old might find difficult or boring or pointless. A child of nine or 10 finds easy, interesting and meaningful. And all you've got to do is give it that time. So if we were to take, a, if we were to take it from a home education perspective, and a couple of you have referenced the, the reading wars, right? So this phonics versus whole word thing. Now, obviously, as home educators, we can choose which approach we take. Now, is there if you if you were to to assume that obviously I I suspect that you're all going to say particularly you David I suspect you're all going to say that it depends on the child <laughs> which and I get that however a lot of people who maybe have just started home educating maybe their child has been in nursery but then they're you know from age five they're going to start you know from compulsory school age they're off and running home educating they they may not have a clue where to start when it comes to teaching their child to read is there. Is there an approach that you that you would each recommend trying first to see how that would go? David, what would your sort of initial uh, sort of suggestion be to a home educating parent of, say, a five year old who who doesn't doesn't really know how to read, maybe knows their letter sound, something like that? 
with um when i when i first met my now wife she was home educating um fully with erin and and my little one jemima and i i was nqt sort of i had no idea what homeschooling was like and i was expecting you know feral children and all sorts of different things because i'd had all sorts of different things drilled into me um one of the things that that she did well and we we built on when we first met was was just having an environment that is just words everywhere you know on the walls there's there's words attached to things you know um she had things like um labels on drawers for example you know this is the cutlery drawer so then the children are seeing the word cutlery you know they've constantly got the words all around them um little little tricks like um putting the subtitles on the telly if you're watching something and putting the subtitles on playing board games like we constantly play but i've got a massive cupboard of board games downstairs that have just got they're all word heavy games there's 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 little trick games there's a there's a caveman game which is particularly fun which which gets you to think about syllables and you can only use three syllables to, to explain yourself and that sort of thing it's just the, the you can you can tailor the environment that you're in in your home to have so much vocabulary around you all the time that it just becomes confusing my, my little one who we're kind of she's couldn't possibly be homeschooled we're not really we're trying to find out where to we sit with a new work and my changing of career but um she's just she's only three and she's picked up words just because they're around all the time so she she recognizes the word nursery um because she sees it all the time she we know she recognizes the word um poor because she loves poor patrol so she doesn't necessarily she's already got those advantage the the, the the phonics isn't necessarily there but she knows some words already and is starting to associate the fact that words have meaning if you see what i mean yeah so your your sort of suggestion would be that you expose your child to literacy just around the house and actually that's actually the approach to learning a language as well isn't it i know mm. when my son was learning german you would put post-it notes in german and you would watch german programs with subtitles and actually very very similar approach because i guess it is learned they are learning a language right in, in that way yeah. so so you would sort of expose your child to literacy in, in their kind of everyday way so harriet what about you what would you say for um a home educating parent of say a five-year-old and they want to start teaching their child to read but they don't really know how to go about it what would you recommend okay so i, I think one of the things that was really really interesting about the research was you know 400 children 400 different ways of learning to read 400 different experiences and we treat learning to read um in education as if it is a very difficult a very difficult skill that has to be acquired that has to be taught that consists of stages you know all uh, the six pillars or whatever people want to call it of bringing those things together as if this is a very precise um a a, a, a very precise thing that has to be very carefully engineered to be successful um and i think i think one of the conclusions from the research that i did was actually it's the opposite of that learning to read is easy it is not difficult um uh it is we're continually surrounded by literacy we live a lifestyle we have a culture of literacy sure stick labels around the house if that makes you happy but our world is full of labels anyway uh, lots of parents talked about going out and doing things like reading car registration numbers as they walked up and down the street you know this stuff is all around us anywhere and there were so many diverse imaginative 
different ways of learning to read and lots of experiences. They were not structured. They weren't carefully, concertedly cultivated. They just happened. Really nice, quick story um, about two little boys learning to read. Uh, their dad said they were really big fans of a, a, a children's singing group called the Wiggles. Now, if you've heard of the Wiggles, I think that dates you too. Um, but the boys loved the Wiggles. They used to spend loads of time listening to Wiggles tapes, singing along, watching the videos, dancing, knew all the words to the songs. One day, one of the boys asked his dad if he would write out the words of, uh, of the songs for them. So the dad did. He typed them up, put them in a folder, gave it to the boys. They already knew what the words were. They knew all the songs by heart. All they had to do was work out the one-to-one -one correlation. Now, there was no, once they could do that, they could read. That was the, the start of them reading. Uh, and they, they went off to become fully-fledged readers through that sort of just by chance, you know, nobody had said to them, you need to listen to the Wiggles songs, you need to learn those words, that's how you're going to learn to read, you know, when did you last watch the video, let's put it on now, you know, come on, I can't hear you singing along, you know, that would have been nonsense, and yet that's how they learned to read. So my advice to home educating families would be, do whatever your child is interested in, have fun, enjoy yourselves, there will be words there, you can look out for them if you want to, but if you don't, they will still be there, you know, your child's not reading, give it six months. If they're still not reading, give it another six months. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because that's pretty much how my son taught himself to read. We we were living in Egypt and there was not a bookshop. And we got a, a box set of Little Miss books from the local school's car boot sale. And we had three or four Julia Donaldson that my mum DH'd out, DHL'd out to us. And we read these same books because we always read three books every night, three books every nap time. That was a lot of reading of the same books again and again. So within about six months, my son had memorized obviously all the books because he just read, he'd had them read to him so often that he would just sit there and he, because he knew all the words because I'd read them to him, he could then piece them together on the page. So it's actually a very similar approach, Harriet, to the one you mentioned. So so Harriet, your, your advice would be just let them absorb it that they, they will they will sort of find they will find it and come to it in their own time okay so Jen what about you then you come at it from obviously a, a you know necessarily you're in the school system it is quite a structured approach so what would be your advice to a home educating parent of a five-year-old what would be the first things that you would say look try this out try that out so it's really interesting listening to both of you guys because Obviously, a language-rich environment is exactly what we do in school. Everything is labelled, everything is covered in words. So I would 100% support that. And I would 100% support the point things out in the world because I actually actively teach that to home homeschooling parents is raise that value of reading. Show your child why it is so important that they learn to read by pointing out things. Because I think what happens quite a lot um, is that we read for our kids and we don't exactly point out to them, oh, we're going to Cafe Nero. How do I know that? Because it says it on the sign. And I think for a lot of kids, particularly if they become reluctant later on, it's because they don't really get the why of reading. And so by pointing out to our children, we have to read. It's everywhere. Like just looking around this classroom, not this classroom, this room, I can see so many words. And if you look, you know, if you walk down the street, you can see so many words. So I completely agree with Harriet as well about pointing out words, explaining them, in, engaging with that reading. Um, the only, I am going to give a little plug to phonics and I'm going to explain why. Um, the difference between recognising individual words and phonics is that if you know a certain amount of phonics, you know a certain amount of words and it becomes bigger. Every new sound you 
learn, the more words you can read and the more words you can work out independently. So while it's great, the the Wiggles concert and the songs, and that's amazing, they know all of those words now because they've got that written down. That's incredible. And then they have to have all that comprehension and that support within their own brains to work out new words because they know a certain number. And that's fantastic. But if you have the sounds and the phonemic awareness to put them together, they can work those words out without context, without having to use other things. So I I, I do back phonics um, because I really like being able to see children. And obviously I, I know I'm in a school environment. I know I'm not homeschooling, but I do support a lot of homeschooling parents. And it's amazing seeing children make huge progress as they add more sounds into their knowledge base. Because to begin with, you start by reading words like sat and sit and tap, and they're very basic. But just by adding another letter, you're then reading ink and loads of other words that it, it expands over time by introducing new sounds. And you can then essentially give a child a five syllable word that they're never going to work out from context and they sound it out. And I certainly still do that today if I'm reading something medical or some sort of assessment. And I would put money on the fact that you guys all do. You don't just recognize a new word that you've never come across before and you're not just able to read it. You use your phonics. And so by supporting our kids to do that really basically, and I'm not saying, okay, your three-year-old has to sit down and learn all their letters and know all their letters. Absolutely do it at your child's pace. I always, always say, you know your kids better than anyone else in the world. And if if you feel it's the right time, fantastic. If you feel it's not the right time, fantastic. Because that's the beauty of homeschooling. You have the right to do all of that. But I do think phonics has something to offer your child in the in the form of independence, because you're not just learning word and word and word. You're learning, you know, once you know phonics, you can give it a go at doing absolutely anything else, as long as you have the other five pillars to support you as well. OK, so so Jen, you're a phonics girl. I can mm-hmm. safely say I'm a whole word, whole mm-hmm. word girl because um I found that my daughter for example she used the Peter and Jane books and then what happened is instead of having to use her phonics to encounter unfamiliar words she would just gauge what they were from the context and learn them mm-hmm. that way so that's how she it's tended fantastic. to approach it that works. so David what about you are you a phonics in the phon in the in the reading wars what side are you on are you on phonics or are you on whole word I feel like you're going to say you're between the two are you is that what you're going to say I think I I was very much the the early part of phonics I get frustrated with it when it starts to get into the, the I can't I was I a long time since I've taught phonics but there's 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 sort of like the alternative sounds and the, the later on in the phase sort of three four you have to you, the children have to know a lot of the terminology that goes alongside it so they've got to know that's a split digraph and they've got to know this is a diet and that sort of thing and that part of it I found frustrating I think um I agree with Jen on the fact that even as an adult if I encounter a new word I will break it down into into syllable sections and I will use phonetic you know phonetic knowledge of, of working that out but where I found it frustrating teaching was when I was getting into that I remember uh, my um my son he failed the year one phonic check um whatever that means it, it didn't mean a lot for him in the long run um but he he he, un- he knew he knew split diagraphs, he knew all the all the terminology, but he really struggled with the actual <laughs> putting it together and the blending part of it. 
but he knew all the terminology. And I was like, well, how the teacher spent ages teaching him all these lovely language of it, but didn't actually focus on the actual teaching of it. I remember him sitting there once and Jemima was winding him up and he was, she was going, his name's James. And she was going, James, that's your name. And he's like, no, I've got a split digraph to his voice. So he's getting frustrated, <laughs> but but that didn't mean anything to him. It was it was just a terminology that he that he'd been picked up and and that's so that's the sort of thing. So when I I kind of I I read a lot of Michael Rosen is very heavily antiphonics and I read a lot of his posts and a lot of it makes sense. Sometimes I disagree with what he's saying, but I, there is there is a you know you do need a degree of it, but it's just the extent that they go go with it in in primary school. It just becomes like noise and the same thing that if you if I, if I was being anecdotal with 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 schools the children that ex, that do well with phonics are often the children that have a lot of reading at home with their parents and the ones that they don't do, do well, well anyway wouldn't they uh, well, and exactly you've got an argument for whether or not that you're making a difference or it's just the fact that this child's been exposed to a lot a lot of books but you do certainly need some of that early understanding it's just those last i think it's where it gets to phase four that i get frustrated um yeah i just want to support what david said around it comes back to what i was saying right at the beginning of phonemic awareness versus phonics and the skill versus the knowledge and i do agree with what david says when you get to phase five because that's when you get the adjacent um not adjacent consonants the alternative sounds in there's so much effort on learning those new sounds and recognizing split digraphs that a lot of that phonemic awareness that is phase one that should be, as I said, all the way through reception, we should be focusing on that so much more. And we just, that tends to get lost, particularly if you're not that aware of it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that it's so important we teach those skills of listening, those skills of blending the sounds together, because that's the true part of reading. And then the phonics is just the knowledge. So I just wanted to bring it back to that's exactly what I was saying at the beginning it's, it's fascinating that the two of you mention that when you encounter a new word you break it down into phonetic chunks um and that's obviously what I do that's what everybody does when they encounter a new word and I wasn't taught phonics at school it's just how we do it right that's how we do it as humans I don't think we can we can say that phonics at school does that Harriet what would you like to say uh, so the reading researcher Frank Smith asserts that phonics is something that you can do when you can read. Phonics isn't something that helps you read. It's something that you can do when you can read. Interesting. Jen, what do you say to that? I want to reverse that and say that by therefore teaching our children phonics early, we support their reading the whole way through. Because you're right, we know how to do phonics once we're adults because we can read. But by supporting our children to know the sounds first, we can speed up their reading so that they get that love of reading, that enjoyment really early on. David? I'm going to go off on a tangent slightly. <laughs> Another thing that you'll probably do is because I was in when I was teaching to say to everyone in the, in the school, you are expert readers. You have picked up tactics that you're not even aware that you have picked up over the course of being exposed to word. And a lot of teachers at my, the schools that I've worked out weren't taught under a, you know, a phonic system. But one of the things that you do as an expert reader is that you make associations with parts of a word based on the the um oh, what's the word for it? I always forget this one. The etymology of the word. So a classic one would be um if you see the word, if you see P uh S Y P S C Y together, you'd think 
you know the sound that makes because you know it makes that sound in other words so that another thing you know the the, the that you pick that up as you go as well i think so maybe if we all learnt Latin at the same time, we would all be <laughs> we'd all be fluent readers. Harriet, what about what do you think? Um, underpinning all of this is a philo- philosophical assumption that speech, that writing is speech in material form, um, and that totally underpins any theory of phonics. There is evidence to suggest that some young children don't see written words like that um, and I can give you some research illustrations of that if a young child is being taught phonics but doesn't understand the written word as speech in material form the phonics teaching is not going to make any sense to them what do they see it as instead then direct symbolic representation of whatever it is that's written down Okay, you've like lo- slightly lost me there, but <laughs> like a picture would be. Okay, like a picture would be. So if you've got, say, you've got a picture of an elephant, that's a representation of an elephant. It doesn't somehow say elephant. It is a direct representation of the elephant, like a hieroglyph. Yeah, or or, or, or you know the little icons that you see on computers all the time, or road signs, or uh, figures. Like the the number three doesn't say three; it represents three. Like an emoji. So you'd have a laughing emoji, yeah. but it doesn't actually yeah. read the word laugh. Wow, I did not yeah. realise that some people see it like that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, And there is evidence that at least some young children see the written word as a direct representation of the thing that that word, that, that that word represents uh, without without the speech link in between. So in that case, phonics doesn't make any sense. Okay, so Harriet, in the reading wars, I'm guessing you're not on the phonics side. Are you on the whole word side or are you you sort of somewhere in the middle? Uh, I'm not on a method side. I'm not on a method side. I think, you know, um, uh, I I, I think I think learning to read um, is, uh, as I say, the assumption that we're all doing the same thing, that reading is a process. that it's all based on the same philosophy and the same way of seeing the world, that we all want to get the same things out of reading because clearly we don't all affect how we might approach it. And, you know, when I came away from the reading research, you know, I was so blown over by the imagination, the diversity, the flexibility, the resourcefulness of the home educating families that, you know, um, keep going back to, as Jen said, you know, you know your child best, you know what's fun, you know what they're going to enjoy, you know what's going to make them feel good, you know what's meaningful and relevant in their lives. That's all you need to know. You know, obviously, we've got very strong cultural emphasis on phonics, and it's almost impossible to consider learning to read without considering phonics. But lots of the other things that people can do that become ways into literacy, we don't know very much about them at all. And home educating families are using them all the time, coming across them for themselves, adapting them, going with them. Um, and it's it's a bit like the rainforest. You know, it's all happening out there. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep playing with it. If you've got time, if you've got space, if you've got flexibility, that's all you need. 
That's all you need. I, I often feel that home educators really are at the kind of vanguard of a lot of these educational approaches because we have the freedom to try things out. Um, yeah. we, we quite often really are leading the way in a lot of these approaches, like things like a project-based learning. I mean, home educators have been doing that for decades. <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous that it's now like a thing. Let's try this in schools. It seems to work. And you think we've all been doing this for a very long time. Um, so I wanted to ask you each one last thing before we finish, which is that David mentioned earlier about an app re le learning to read with your monster or something like that right now I loved using apps with my children when they were young for learning to read we used squeebles for spelling I could record my own voice saying the spelling words that we were doing that and I didn't I based it on the, the books that they were currently reading. So I knew that they were being exposed to particularly difficult words in whatever books we were reading Harry Potter at the time. And so I would put those in for squeebles. So I, I, I love learning to read apps. I think they're really helpful. My dyslexic daughter, we did something called letter quest, which is when you basically have to take a bunch of letters and then make, uh, make a, as long a word as you can from it. And what I would do with her is we would look at the letters. I would say the word that I wanted her, and then she had the letters available. She just had to put them all in the right place. It was very good for her spelling and super fun. We got spells. We could kill zombies. It was brilliant. So I would like each of yours um, top tip for like a favorite resource. It doesn't necessarily have to be an app. It can be a book or it can be uh, a game or anything like that. But what what is each of yours kind of, kind of favorite resource for helping a child to read? Who would like to go first with that one? Um, so I have a few. Um, I just want to shout out the Top Marks website because it's free and it's got loads of games and I've used it in my teaching and I've used it with kids as well. Like, um, but it's great. Topmarks.com. Just go and have a look because there's a whole load of free games for a huge range of different ages, et cetera, et cetera. This is not sponsored, just something I like. <laughs> um, otherwise, Vocabulary Ninja is really good for vocab. Um, they tend to do like new vocabulary words each week which I find really useful because I obviously my as soon as you say oh use a new word this week my brain just loses all words that have ever existed um so I find them quite useful to think of new words to incorporate with my kids um but I would actually say my favorite resource for supporting any sort of reading any sort of writing is chalk and water so go outside write some letters or some words or whatever you feel like some hopscotch is great um onto the the pavement and then give your child a water a pot of water and a paintbrush or you know a spray bottle and a paintbrush there's so many things that you can just do with chalk and water that relate to both reading and writing and loads of other things as well so basic resource that i always always have to have is chalk and water and what's great about that, I think, is that it takes out that perfectionism that some children really feel overwhelmed by when it's pen and paper. They see something, they write it, they have to cross it out and then they hate it and they think their book is messy because we used, we used a lot of sand trays and flour trays and sugar trays if you really want to lick your fingers afterwards and, yeah. and you know, to format our letters. David, what about you? What What sort of resource or game or approach do you think is like a really good one to recommend? Uh, so as I've already mentioned um, Teach My Monster to Read, which is, I think it's free on a browser, possibly of a charge on, a, on an iPad and things like that. But Teach My Monster to Read is really good. Um, the girls grew up with uh, reading eggs, which is very, very good as well. But my my thing in our home, because as I say, my son sons are a bit reluctant to read, but if we play board games and they have to do a bit of reading, then they 
they find it more fun. So we we love board games. Um, so I grew up with Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer and that sort of thing. So I've tried to get them into it, and we play a lot of different board games. The one they currently love is something called uh, One Night Werewolf or something like that, where you've got to kind of deceive people and. Um, they're a bit older, so that's more of an older one, I think. Uh, Castle Panic's a great one. There's all sorts of different ones that you can find. And it just encourages vocabulary and talking and reading and that sort of thing. We did a podcast recently about Dungeons and Dragons, and the guy pretty yeah, much I... said, uh, he, he said, you know, you know, that's fine if you want to play, but you're going to have to read. And and it's amazing the <laughs> the impetus of that. In actual fact, I know an unschooler whose son learned to read purely from playing um, Dungeons and Dragons and Minecraft. Um, Harriet, what do you think? What would you recommend as your sort of top resource? Um, well, well, just just to follow on from from what David's been saying, and you've been saying, lots of children in the research learnt to read playing games on the computer or Pokemon or UGO, and it was as David was saying, it was being involved with the game, being with their friends, and playing the game that mattered to them, not learning to read. That was kind of incidental to the other action. So uh, and, and and kind of in the same spirit of that, I'm going to sort of cop out and say, use your imagination, use the world around you. Reading's not all about reading. Reading is not all about letters and writing. It's about experiences. It's about what you do in your life. It's about how you have fun. It's about the conversations that you have. It's about the ideas that you bounce around. All of those things uh, 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 make reading meaningful. So go and do some of those things. Um whatever live go and live (laughs) (laughs) that is home education all over isn't it okay so Jen David and Harriet will be in our Facebook group and so they will be putting links for their own businesses so people can find them if 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 you've listened to this and you've thought my god I really need this person to tutor my child or if you just want to reach out and go what was that what was that resource you mentioned again so so all three of our guests will be in our Facebook group Um, But I would like to thank David, Harriet and Jen very much for coming on the podcast today. It was really fun and actually like much more controversial than I thought, which is always like my favorite kind of podcast. I love those. There's like they're they're a dream for me, controversial podcasts. So thank you so much, everyone. It's been lovely to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thanks for having me. Lovely. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.